For, throughout the four Gospels and the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we get a picture of the ministry and life of Jesus and what he is doing. And one of the recurring themes that we see throughout the four Gospels is that Jesus takes prayer very seriously. And there's some popular prayers in the Bible that you may be familiar with, like the Lord's Prayer. We sometimes cite it in unison here at this church. We might be familiar with the prayers of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we're told in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus was sweating like drops of blood because he was in such agony before having to face the cross. We might be familiar with the prayer of Jesus spending an entire night, all night, praying before he chooses the 12 disciples, making a big decision. But an often overlooked prayer and a very important prayer in the New Testament is the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. We're we're continuing our sermon series on the Gospel of John, and we get to the point where we see this prayer called the, the high priestly prayer. When I say priest, I'm not not thinking of uh, Anglican church or Catholic church. Usually when theologians talk about the work of Christ, that they categorize it under three titles of prophet, priest, king. Prophet, preach, teach, lay down the law. King, leadership, administration. Priestly, praying, counseling, listening, that kind of thing. And since this is a, a prayer, and Jesus is talking to God the Father, and he prays for other people, it falls under the umbrella of his priestly work for his people. This is the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Bible. It's a beautiful prayer, a majestic prayer, one that captures many of the themes of John's gospel. And uh, we see Jesus praying, and truth be told, we're, we're very, ourselves, we're very prone to rely on our own strength to get through life. It's easy to try to do that, but Jesus made prayer a valuable part of his life, and so should his followers. That's what we see in this passage. We see that Jesus prays for himself, and he prays for his disciples. So we're going to look at the entirety of John's chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. As I heard another preacher preaching on this text, he said, we have minutes, not months. We can't squeeze out every theme and talk about every line with the same amount of time because of time constraints. But thankfully, the prayer is broken up into three neat sections. If you're following along in your Bible, we see, we see three sections, three main points of this prayer. One, Jesus prays for himself. Two, Jesus prays for his present disciples. Three, Jesus prays for his future disciples. So we're going to break up that passage into those three sections. And the first section that we see is Jesus praying for himself. And this is right after the teaching of, I've overcome the world, and the world, you will have trouble, you, you will have difficulty, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We looked at that last week. And now Jesus, the the scriptures tell us, he lifted up his head in prayer, looked up to the sky, a common posture in prayer back in that day, and and he starts to pray, and he calls God Father. He calls God Father. Only in Christianity are we allowed to call God Father. It shows us 
the intimate relationship that God wants to have with his people, the intimate relationship that Jesus had with his father and how disciples can have with God through prayer. And Jesus starts by saying that his hour has come. When he says hour, he's not talking about 60 minutes. He's talking about the hour for him to be arrested and betrayed. That's going to come in chapter 18. We're in chapter 17 right now. But starting in chapter 18 is when the arrest, betrayal, crucifixion, and ultimately resurrection is going to happen. Jesus knows that's coming soon. So before he faces the cross, he prays. He's praying because he knows it's coming. And, and throughout this prayer, as he's praying for himself, he doesn't just pray, but he also teaches various lessons in his dialogue with God, or is speaking to God, rather, and he says that he, he has authority over all flesh, which means he's sovereign over the universe. He has power over the whole world. Jesus says that eternal life, verse 3, he says that they know you, the only true God. We often think about eternal life as heaven, what happens after death, but actually a theme in the God's, John's gospel is that eternal life happens the moment you're converted to Christ. The moment someone believes in Jesus, that's eternal life, walking with and knowing God. That's why knowing God is so important. Eternal life is not just after you die, but actually the moment you're converted to Christ. And Jesus is praying, and he, he does a lot of teaching in the prayer, and he doesn't do a lot of asking for things, but he has one supplication, one request that's repeated twice in his prayer, and his request from God is that God would glorify him. That's, that's what he says, verse 1, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. Verse 5. Glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. That's the request of Jesus. You know, people often ask, especially opponents to the faith, where, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus is God? Where? Well, everywhere, really. And as we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, it comes up over and over again. But, but when Jesus prays, Glorify your son. This is another sign, a reference to his divinity, to him being God. This is the whole point of the Gospel of John. Jesus is God. Tell other people about him. That's how we can sum it all up. And, and this word glory means weightiness. It means to receive praise, to be honored, to be extolled. And Jesus is praying for that. A prerogative reserved for God and God alone. We see this in Psalm, Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. As I heard someone else once say, God is a generous God who's willing to share many things, but one thing he is not willing to share is his glory. So Jesus praying for glory is a sign that he is God, another reference in John's gospel. And notice that Jesus prays for this, not just so that he can be pampered, but he says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you. 
So he's not just, oh, I'm a diva, everyone look at me, everyone pat me on the back. But he's, hey, glorify me so that I can glorify you. So he wants to serve out of this. But, but the biggest reason why Jesus prays this is not just to show that he's God, but also because he's uh, getting ready to die on the cross. And it's on the cross where Jesus died in your place and for your sins that the glory of God is most highly shown because it finishes the work that Christ was sent to do. So Jesus prays, glorify me, and it's about to happen at the cross because the work is then completed and God is glorified through Christ's obedience. That's what Jesus prays for himself. He knows that the crucifixion is coming up soon and he starts to pray. Jesus isn't afraid to pray for himself and neither should we be. Reading a book co-authored by a couple and the couple, they share the story of a tree cutter, a young man who wanted to get a job as a tree cutter and he approached a foreman, sort of manager type person, hey, give me a job as a tree cutter. And the foreman said, well, cut this tree. Let's see how good you are. And the young man cut the tree, did really well. Foreman was impressed, said, you start Monday. You're a tree cutter. So he came to work on Monday. He started off working really hard. But by Thursday, the foreman approached him and said, hey, you can go pick up your check. The tree cutter said, what do you mean? I thought we'd get paid on Friday. He said, yeah, we usually do, but you're fired, so go pick up your check now on Thursday. And so the young man is having this conversation with this foreman, like, what do you mean? You saw me, I just got hired on Monday. The foreman's like, yeah, you've, you've fallen really behind on your productivity already. And the young boy cried out, he said, but I'm a hard worker. I arrive first, leave last. And even have worked through my coffee breaks. He was totally confused because he put in all this effort. And the foreman can sense his sincerity as I was reading the story. And he was confused and he said, have you been sharpening your axe? The young man replied, I've been working too hard to take the time. Can't, you can't cut trees well if you don't have the right axe, the right equipment. And he was working really hard, harder than anyone, but wasn't being productive, wasn't being as useful. And as we read the story, I just was reminded of prayer, of how we could work really hard and be the first one in and first one out and, and think about our Christian life in terms of our own grit, our own strength. And hard work is important, no doubt. Hard work and prayer need to go together. If we don't, we, our axes won't be sharpened, so to speak, and we won't be as useful. John Bunyan said, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Jesus goes to the cross. He's obedient. Yes and amen. Works hard throughout his ministry. Yes and amen. But he also prays. They go together. And, and some of us, were really good at praying for other people. You, maybe some people call you a prayer warrior. Very quick, when you, we announce the prayer request, you listen in with eager anticipation, ready to pray for people, very helpful. But you may not feel as empowered to pray for yourself. Let me just encourage you, you, you should pray for yourself. It's okay to do so. It's not selfish. 
you know, we tend to think, oh, God is really big and he's really busy. He's got a lot going on and there's so many other people suffering in the world. What do my prayers mean to God? The fact of the matter is, is that if, if it's a big deal to you, it's a big deal to God. That's why Peter tells us to cast all your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. He doesn't say only cast the anxieties that other people think are a big deal. All of them. So we should regularly pray for ourselves. Notice before Jesus starts to pray for others, he's first taking care of himself in a spiritual sense. So, so the very, the very, at the very least, one thing we can take away is that Jesus prayed for himself and so should we. What, this is not a full-blown sermon on prayer and how to pray and so forth, but one thing that Christ prays for is to receive glory. We shouldn't pray that, right? We're not God, only Jesus is God. But Jesus prays in this prayer to be glorified and followers of Jesus should pray that we would glorify him. That, that, that would be one appropriate response. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question one asks this. It says this. What is the chief end of man? Answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is the reason why you exist, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. The Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church at Corinth in Corinthians, with a lot of issues at that church, and he takes care of business in the first several letters, but then towards the end, chapter 10, he says, hey, this is, I'm, this is why I'm writing, I'm summing this all up to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. There's many applications we can draw from this, since, but one of them is this. We should pray for ourselves, and we should pray that God would strengthen us to glorify Him in all that we do. Not only does Jesus pray for Himself, but as we move on into the passage, He sees that He, he prays for His present disciples that are with Him. And Jesus knows, I've, I've been with you for three years, pouring into you night and day, teaching, preaching, doing ministry, serving you. Now I'm leaving. That could be really hard for them. Traumatic in some ways. Being a Christian back then in that time was very costly. And Jesus knows that they were going to face suffering and hardship and loneliness after he was going to die and rise from the dead. So he starts to pray for his 12 disciples. And when we, when we look at what Jesus prays for them, we, we don't see that he prays for success. Nowhere in scripture are we promised success or good health, that everyone's going to live long, or that everything will always go our way. That, that's not promised anywhere Jesus doesn't pray that they will escape the world's troubles, that they'll become rich and healthy and that all would be well with them all the time. He doesn't pray that. What he prays is four things for his disciples. He prays, verse 11, that God would preserve them until the end. Verse 11 again, unity. 
verse 15, protection from the evil one, the devil. And verse 17, that they would grow in holiness. So when we look at each one in turn, the, the first prayer that he prays for his disciples is that God would preserve them until the end. Verse 11, Holy Father, the only time that God the Father is referred to as Holy Father, there is a significant title. Keep them in your name. What does that mean? He's saying this, please help them to be faithful until they die. Help them to be faithful to Christ until the end. Because I know that after I die and rise from the dead, Jesus is saying, they're going to have temptation and trial and difficulty and worldly influences to try to get them, pluck them away from God. I don't want that to happen. And we see Judas, ultimately the son of destruction, the passage says, who is phony. He, he, he turns his back and Peter denies Christ, but he ends up repenting. And he preaches a sermon in the book of Acts. 3,000 people come to Christ in one day. But I find it very fascinating and interesting that Jesus is saying, let them persevere. He doesn't say, let them not experience suffering. A prayer that we can pray for ourselves is, Lord, help me to be faithful to you all the way until the end. Some of you have been walking with God for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. Let me just encourage you to keep on pressing on in faithfulness to God. Keep persevering until the end. It will be worth it. Don't turn your back on God now. Finish your race strong. Pray that God would help you to persevere. And he will. Second prayer, praise for his disciples is unity. Same verse, verse 11. He prays that they may be one, even as we are one. So he's praying for unity. And, and the, the rationale, the justification, the, the grounds for the argument of why Jesus wants his disciples to be one. He says, even as we are one. He's talking about the Trinity, the God of the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, no beginning, no end, fully God. Three persons, they are a unit, they are one. So Jesus is saying, hey, just like we are one, when the church, when the church of Jesus, when my disciples are one, they reflect the Trinity, we reflect God. Part of the reason why the church exists is to reflect the character of God on earth. And when we are unified, we do that. When there's disunity, we're not doing that. And unity doesn't mean, uh, there's a popular saying, you may have heard this. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Doesn't mean we all have the same interests, same likes. We all didn't root for the same team in the Super Bowl. Someone likes coffee, the other person doesn't like coffee. Someone's a millennial, someone's a baby boomer. Someone listens to hip-hop, someone listens to pop, someone listens to rock. Different generations, different interests. That's a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean we all have to vote the same or look the same. That's not what unity means. We can be different. We can debate and disagree and speak our mind and have our convictions. We don't need to be robots. 
But unity does mean that we are, because of Christ and the common denominator of knowing Him, that we love one another, serve one another, that we don't gossip about each other, that we strive for unity in the local church. It's very important to God that His people are one, because when we are one, we reflect Him. The third prayer that He prays for His disciples is protection from the devil. Protection from the evil one. Verse 15, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Once again, we see Jesus not saying, I, I, hey, please let their lives be easy, let, let, let everything go well all the time. He doesn't, but he, he makes, makes mention of the evil one, he says. By, by evil one, he's talking about the devil or Satan. When you hear that, you might be tempted to laugh that off like it's a joke or it's not real. And if you do, you'd be joining a lot of Americans who don't believe in a real evil one. I looked at a New York Times article, and granted the article is old from 1997. The title of the article is called, quote, Is Satan Real? Most People Think Not. In the article, the writer has a lot of stats and quotes and data and all that, and he says, nearly two-thirds of Americans do not believe in the devil as a living entity. That was in 1997 when faith was more popular, you might say, or there were more of the days of Christendom. If anything, things have gotten more antagonistic towards the Christian faith, more against the Christian faith. It's probably higher now. C.S. Lewis writing about these kind of things where people say the evil one isn't real. He says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Both, both are wrong, C.S. Lewis is saying. To deny the presence of an evil one is to do exactly, to believe exactly the lie that he wants people to believe. And being scared and being overly worried is, is not good either. Jesus is king. Jesus reigns. Jesus wins. Jesus is stronger. But nevertheless, we have to remind ourselves of various texts in the Bible, like 1 Peter 5.8, where Peter says, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, Seeking someone to devour. That's why Jesus prays for protection from the evil one. The prayer I often pray in my life is, Lord, please protect me from the enemy, his servants, and their works. Protect me, protect me. I encourage you to pray that for yourself as well. For your family and your loved ones. To be protected from the evil one. The fourth prayer that Jesus prays is, Godliness for his disciples. Verse 17. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctification is one of those big Christian words, theology words. All it means is becoming more like Jesus. That's God's plan A for your life. Is to help you become more like Jesus. To, to help you to be holy. Holy means set apart. Set apart for God. To be on the mission of God. To tell other people 
about God. So he says, sanctify them. Help them to become more godly and holy because when you're more godly and holy, you're more useful in the kingdom of God and you're more happy knowing God. Holiness and happiness are not enemies. They're friends. Being holy is the pathway to be happy. You can testify when you're reading your Bible and praying and walking with God and obeying Him and putting sin to death in your life, doing devotionals with your spouse and kids and seeking God. You you feel a deeper sense of God's presence and joy. But when we ignore God or do our own thing or drift away, prone to wander, Lord, prone to leave the God I love, that's a temptation for all of us. We don't feel as happy in the Lord. So being close to God, walking with God, being sanctified is, is, is not because God is some killjoy, but because actually being godly is, is the path to happiness. That's how God has ordained things to work. And the more we walk with God and become more like Him, the more we'll be able to be useful in the kingdom of God as we tell other people about Him. Those are the prayers that Jesus has for His present disciples And Jesus doesn't just pray for his 12 disciples, or maybe you can say 11, since Judas was a phony. But he also prays for for you. He prays for his future disciples, his future church. Verse 20, he says this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. If you're a Christian... This applies to you. That over 2,000 years ago, Jesus walking the earth, saying things, doing things, someone recording things he says and does. Here, he's praying for you. Sometimes people wonder, does God even see me? Does he even care uh, has he forgotten me? Why would I go through all this stuff in my life? If he really cared, does he love me? Does he, does he ever think about me? Am I ever on his mind? Well, before you were even born, Jesus was praying for you. You were on his mind. He was thinking about you. In all, all the world, the, the, throughout the 2nd century and 16th century and your great-grandparents and your grandparents and so on, those who are Christians in your family, Jesus is praying for them. And what's his prayer for us? He says this, he's praying for unity again, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus is praying that the future church would be unified as well. Because when we're unified... It, the purpose is not sentimental, but missional. Not so we can hold hands and sing kumbaya and marsh, marshmallows, although that can be fun, but it's, the purpose is telling other people about him. And when other people see that witness, they're drawn into this wonderful relationship with God and people. But I just, I just find this am- amazing. This is just incredible that Jesus is praying for all his future disciples. And if you are a disciple, this includes you as well. So yes, you were on his mind. You are on his mind. In fact, Jesus rose from the dead. And the question becomes, what in the world has he been doing since he got to heaven? Have you ever asked that? 
okay, Jesus, I know he's perfect, he's God, he died for my sins, I believe in him, okay, that's great, he rose from the dead, Christianity is true, he, he, he ascends to heaven, sits on a throne, what does he do all day? Does he just sit there and receive worship and passively hang out? He doesn't. He, he does many things. Uh, one of the things that Jesus does, believe this or not, and now some of you have never been taught this, and I'm glad this is your first time hearing this, but Jesus actually still prays for his people today. So let me read this verse for you. Romans eight thirty four. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed, here's the line, who indeed is, currently present, is interceding, a reference to prayer, for us. So Jesus not only prayed for you, if you're a disciple of Christ, in his high priestly prayer, but now... He prays for you now. One of the most amazing paragraphs I've read in months, maybe years, is from Louis Burkhoff, a Presbyterian theologian, his book, Systematic Theology. Listen to these words when he talks about Jesus praying for his people and their health issues and their trials and their temptations and helping them to persevere. This, this is what he says. It is a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us even when we are negligent in our prayer life. That he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers. And that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. Some of you, you know, how am I going to make it to the end? How am I going to persevere? Pray, yeah, read your Bible, yeah, church, yeah, be godly, yeah. But one of the reasons why you will make it into the end in faithfulness is because Jesus is praying for you. R.C. Sproul says, we are secure not because we hold tightly to Jesus, but because he holds tightly to us. Although prayer is essential, and your personal effort and prayer matters, for those who belong to Christ, we can have this sweet assurance of knowing that he not only prayed for us over 2,000 years ago, but now, even in heaven, regularly prays for you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that for this passage in Scripture that shows to us your heart for your people. And I pray that we would be a people like Christ who took prayer seriously, 
Lord, help us not to be self-righteous. Lord, we fail and stumble and sin and stray in thousands of ways. Lord, I just pray that you would help us, for those who belong to you, to be faithful until the end. What a consoling, encouraging thought indeed that Jesus prays for us now. Jesus, we pray that you would protect us from the evil one. Pray that you would help us to grow in godliness and sanctification. Pray that we would glorify you in everything we say and do. You are a lovely Savior, Jesus, a wonderful, beautiful Savior. Thank you so much. Words fall short, Lord. Actions fall short, Lord. Motives fall short. You are worthy. Help us to glorify you in everything. In Jesus' name, amen.